If you haven't maximized that entrepreneurial itch inside of you and exercise that muscle from the ages of 17 to 21, chances of you being an entrepreneur are very low. Go dummy, go beast, oh no. I go beast. Go deep, I OG, oh no. What's up, what's up, what's up? It's your man, B. Holmes, back with another episode of Doors to Success. I'm your host, B. Holmes, and I am going to lay out to you the B-print, which is where I teach you how to knock open and conquer the different avenues of success in your life. And other than shouting out my sponsor, unofficial sponsor, Red Bull, which I jumped into early, I just got back from the gym, a little late night sesh, jam sesh with my the wifey. Woo, wifey looking good. She is getting ready for a fitness competition. Shout out to my main man, Louis Gucci and Cass. Check out these guys on social media. They are doing it big over at the Transform Fitness Gym. Now currently changed to Transform World. I'm super excited for this this episode. This episode is gonna be is gonna be fire. It's gonna be quick, but I've got a lot on my mind, and I want to speak to this. So, um, hear me. I want to talk about something that is super spooky, and it's it got everyone on pins and needles right now, and it's gonna it's gonna kind of rock you to your core. And it's four letters. Most horrible things are four letter words, right? This is the worst of all. And this one is fear. <laughs> fear. Fear is the worst. Everything. I've spoken on this before, but I am in such a unique place watching individuals push themselves to their limits, myself included. And when you get tired or hungry or fatigued, Fear starts to mess with your brain. Fear sets in. And that's when you got to dig deep and realize that on the other side of fear is where the prize is waiting. You have got to get through the fear. The best things in life have been uniquely hidden right behind fear. And I've said this before on my podcast, but again, I'm just going through things right now where I am being pushed myself to the limits. I have, I spoke last week on this four quarter concept and I've been really grinding. And what I've noticed is that when you get tired, fatigue, like I said, fear sets in. And what I've learned about fear, what I've been teaching my kids is that where faith doesn't exist, you will find fear. Where faith is, fear hath no power, okay? So if you don't, and I've, and I've broken down fear in a couple different subcategories, okay? The first one is fear comes when you are not prepared or you don't know. If you don't know something, fear resides there. It's uncertain. You're uncertain. Now, I'm going to use, I'm going to pick on my wife because she is the most amazing person in the world. I love my wife to death. But my wife is preparing for a bikini fitness competition. A bikini fitness competition. Who does that? My wife, because she's a boss ass queen, okay? 
And I mean, literally, you are putting everything out there for the world to see. Everything. And you have better put in the work because whatever you do in the darkness will come to light and be shown in the bright lights. So I'm, I'm analyzing her. I'm watching her go through this. And I am going through this with her because I, I, I love to support her. I really do. I really, I really love to be her cheerleader. She's been my biggest cheerleader. And in this thing, I feel like for the last 17 years of being, me being an entrepreneur and her cheering me on in this game of life, she's cheered me on in every, every business adventure and she's still cheering me on. I'm, I get to cheer her on now in something that she is passionate about. And I love it. I love it. So, so I'm, I'm noticing, okay, the first thing where if she, she doesn't have her routine down yet. Now we're way out, right? Show's in April. We got a few months. So she's, she shouldn't have her routine down yet. But she's afraid of getting on stage because she doesn't know her steps and her routine. Now, every week, we work on it. She works on it. I film her. We go home. We watch it. Straighten your body. Lean over here. Put your hand like this. Step, step, turn. We're practicing every step, every pose, every transition. And she's putting in that work, okay? In fact, while we were still there practicing, after all the girls had left, another girl left, forgot something, came back, and she came back. She's like, you're still here? And I'm like, yeah, that's right. She's still here. Yeah. And she, my wife kind of took offense. She's like, why is she mad that I'm still here? Like, that was so mean. I'm like, I think she said it like she, she's scared about the competition. You're her competition, and you're still cranking. She's not. Who wouldn't be scared of that? So when people tease you, it's because they're fearing, right? Truly. So, uh, first one is fear because you are not prepared. So, that one's actually simple. That one's a simple, easy fix. Get prepared. Do the things you got to do to prepare to get into battle and go fight. Make sure your ammo is loaded. Make sure you know how to use the gun. Make sure that you got your extra pistol on your hip. You've got your knife, your bayonets all locked in. Just get prepared. Know the steps, and you can practice that. Practice takes away fear, okay? Preparation is the first thing to do to kill fear, okay? So lay that down. Anything you're fearing, anything you're fearful of, practice, okay? The second thing I'm noticing where fear is setting in in this little microcosm example that we're living right now is fear of what others may think about your hard work. Let that one marinate for a minute. Fear of what others may think of your hard work. That one's deep. That one's truly deep because everyone's like, oh, I don't care what other people say. Yes, you do. We all do. Or you wouldn't wear the clothes you're wearing. You wouldn't have Nikes on. You wouldn't have that hat on. You wouldn't have that watch on. You just, you wouldn't. You do care what other people think. You care a lot. They're, they're, the, the biggest brands in the world exist because you care. So don't tell me that shit. If you're saying that, get off. The, get off. Just, just jump off. Because if you're not going to be honest with yourself, I can't help you. So if you care what other people think, got to go deeper. Because that's a valid thought. Because everyone does it. Everyone does care. The whole entire metaverse, whole, uh, Fortnite, social media, it all exists because you care what other people think. So don't tell me that. Stop it. I just had a coaching session this week where someone's like, I don't care what people think. I'm like, 
dude, come on, man. Why'd you say that? You, you're saying that because you care what I think. Stop. I care. Just man up. Woman up. Own that shit. That's fine. It's not a big deal. We all care. Why? What's the psychology behind that? Because we are putting our best foot forward. We are putting our heart and soul into something. We're usually doing it because we've had triggers from the past. We've had triggers or trauma from our past, which is why we are performing and putting ourselves out there to do something so others can see. We need validation from others up until a point. And that point comes when you're way past that. Okay. And that only comes for some people in some things. Some things in my life, I have passed the point of fear when it comes to caring what people think. And that's when you are truly free. And I'm going to tell you how you get through that one. And it's the same way that you get through the last part of fear, which is the fear of what you think, which burns in your soul. The saddest thing I've ever experienced in being a mentor is when I ask people to look in the mirror and look in their eyes and say, I love myself a hundred times. How many people can't do it? They can't do it. This is why I'm even in this realm. This is why I even, I, I love to mentor. I love to coach. I love to help people look in the mirror and say, I love myself. 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 I love myself a hundred times. Do it. Do it right now. Hit pause and say it. You can't say, I love myself a hundred times without smiling. And if that's the minimum result of saying that, then just say it. Just do it. But even in a big group setting, it's it's crazy. Half, half the people when I'm training and I get up there and I say, hey, say I love myself 100 times. Ready? Go. Half the people don't do it because it's not cool to say it because they don't care. They care what their peers think about them and they're too cool to say it. No, that's stupid. That's dumb. I'm not going to do it. But the truth is, is that you may truly not love yourself and you care what you think in the dark hours of the morning. When it's all said and done, and there's no one else to judge you. So this idea that fear comes from preparation, fear comes from perception, and fear comes from your soul, your heart, and how to handle each of those, okay? So I want to tie in this, this idea that I had in, in worship services past Sunday. I'm going to take it to the Bible. Because we learned something, and I was sitting there listening to everyone's responses, and I was just so baffled because it felt like people were missing the concept. So there's a story of this man named Abraham, actually Abram, right? And when he was young, Abraham had a dad who was supposedly high in the church. He was high in the church. He was a priest. He was really well known amongst the community, and he went and snagged his son and tried to sacrifice Abraham, right? So when that happened, 
there was some very serious trauma that said, could you imagine, could you imagine your dad? Could you imagine the news right now if the, the Pope grabbed his son and tried to sacrifice him on an altar in front of all the people because an angel had told him to? Man, 80% of the whole world would say he's crazy, right? So imagine Abraham, the triggering and programming that had to happen for Abraham, right? And the, the wounded child work that needed to go on that probably never happened. So this is something that's life-changing, right? So much that Abraham runs away and he grows old and he can't have kids and he gets his handmaiden from Sarah or Sariah and time goes on and they are blessed with the child, Isaac. Now, when Isaac gets a little older, an angel actually comes to Abraham or maybe he didn't. And Abraham thinks that or is told from the angel he needs to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And in the lesson, I was listening to church, and everyone was talking about how, oh, it was in similitude of God wanted Abraham to know what he felt like to sacrifice his son, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and how hard that must be to sacrifice your son and to go through that. And at the last moment before Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, that the, you know, the angel appears Tells him, stop, I tested you, good good, good job, well and faithful servant. And then everyone turned to the concept of Isaac and how trusting Isaac had to have been as a son and that perspective, which was a great perspective and I enjoyed that one. But I think we kind of missed the whole concept of what had happened there emotionally and spiritually and how tied those are. Again, I hit it on it at the very beginning, but we missed it in the lesson that I wish they would have hit on. Abraham was asked to do something that was his trigger. His trigger was being sacrificed. Not, not anything else. Not being teased. Not being joked on. Not being yelled at. Not getting whooped. Not whatever. His literal trigger was getting sacrificed, right? And in front of people. So preparation, no preparation. Um, then also coming to grips with what other people think. My dad thinks he needs to kill me. Like these priests think they need to kill me. Like I I'm going to be sacrificed. Like this is a big deal. And what other people think I got to run away from this. I need to leave. And I, and I experienced that too in my spiritual journey when I was asked to step back from my church and not participate in church. I remember feeling like I wanted to sell my car. I wanted to burn my clothes. I wanted nothing. To, I wanted to, I changed my hair. I, I bleached my hair. Like I got a new haircut. I wanted a new me because I didn't like the perception of what everyone else saw me because I felt judged. I live that. Abraham lived that. We all live that to whatever your trigger is. Everyone has plenty of triggers. And, and you live that. Now, in you know, in my wife's world, I'm gonna be super vulnerable here because I'm gonna get her on here. We're gonna talk soon. But in her world, having somebody jump in and help you 
means that they don't trust you because they don't think you can do it on your own. So a lot of times in, in her in her family and the culture, people are jumping in to help because they got got to get it done right. And through enough programming, you start to believe when someone jumps in to help that that's a bad sign and you can do it yourself or you let other people help you to be together. So it's really kind of this weird dichotomy of if you don't jump in and help, you are being lazy and not helping. And if you do jump in and help and you don't do it right, then people are going to micromanage you. It's wrong. So it's like this weird balancing act of nonverbal communication of I don't trust you. It's not good enough. Disappointment. You better know what I'm thinking. And it's really cool to watch my 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 wife and her sisters work in the kitchen because they speak this language like perfectly and they're all on the same page and it's like mind blowing. But when I try to do that, I somehow hit the wrong note at the wrong time. I put the dish in the wrong place or I grab the wrong flour or I use the wrong teaspoon. And like all of a sudden it's more stressful and all these triggers of me not helping while I'm trying to help explodes in my face. And I'm like, why am I even helping? And then I walk away and I was like, why isn't he helping? So all of a sudden this trigger that my wife has, I hit unknowingly all the time. So and on my end, I had some experiences where people were not loyal to me with specific sacred information and they took that and used it against me and exposed me to other people. And um, so when my wife and me are in a conversation and she uses something that I feel shouldn't be used and she uses it as a matter-of-fact example just between me and her, I feel like she's broadcasting it to the world, and I feel super violated, and my huge trigger is something she's not even logically doing or knowing, and I blow up and it's exploded on her, and she's like, why are you so mad? And all of a sudden, she's hitting my trigger, and she doesn't know, so she just stops talking and feels like, well, I'm just done talking to you because I can't talk. So all of a sudden, what I'm saying and I'm trying to express to everyone, even after 17 years of blissful, wonderful, amazing, physical, emotional, spiritual love and marriage, and I love my wife so much, we have these moments a lot, and it happens a lot. And the fear of hitting the trigger is even a trigger in itself, itself, right? So without any getting further too deep, know you have triggers. And I think the story of Abraham is telling us, hey, your fear, your greatest fear of whatever that trigger is, if you can take it to that point and you can get comfortable with the, the fact that your fear is a reality, your trigger could happen, would you still be good with the choice? Would you still move forward? So back to me being super vulnerable, my greatest fear is that my wife will choose to leave and I'll be alone. I hate, I, I, I am a lone wolf and a self-proclaimed love lone wolf. And, and that's like my biggest fear. And so when I was talking to her, she's like, you're treating me like I'm, I'm going to leave. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just have this fear. Come to find out I do enough like soul searching and counseling, which I'm all about counseling. If you're not using counseling, like get on, get on your resources, go, go journal, 
self-talk. I love myself, counseling, mentoring, like, man, so many good resources. Just use it. So as I am fearful of my wife and me being alone, I'm already starting to put her in that, I'm already putting her in that category that she doesn't deserve to be in because of my fear of what others would think in her, right? Which is super uh, dangerous because that treating someone like you want them to be is going to really backfire on me. So I am, I am working on this one daily, knowing, but knowing that that's the trigger and knowing that's the fear. So what I actually did was I said, okay, look, if she chooses to leave and if she chooses, say that we get to the end of our life and, and I had to really like go to this place was if she, we die and I can't be with her forever in heaven and there is no heaven say it's for not which is my fear would i still want to live this life with her would i still want to go through this life if i knew that it wasn't going to result in a forever experience and that might be really dumb for a lot of you that might be really insignificant and you're good with that choice and you don't care but guess what that's not your trigger that's my trigger you got to respect that that thing scares the shit out of me. That is like, I freeze when I start thinking about this. I, I get, I start to like, I'm, I'm like getting sick right now. <laughs> oh, I don't know why I talk about this. I get sick just like talking about it. I get anxious. So you, you need to respect people's have triggers and that, it what this does and and when me and my wife were talking about this i said what this does for me i realized that that thing does for you even though they're different and you don't understand why this makes me so sick or why i get so scared why i'm so fearful about it you just need to know that when i do when when you do this that is the same feeling that you get when your trigger is happening, even though it's a totally different subject. And I think yours is kind of lame too. Like you think this one's super lame. My fear is super dumb, which is again, number two, fear of what other people think. And I think yours is super dumb. But as long as we can respect the fact that we know we have triggers that causes fear in each other, are we good? Can, can we respect each other enough to realize that we have our triggers, that we have our fear. And if you get somebody who can respect that in you and is willing to love you, and I say, okay, even if my fear, my trigger is real, which makes me sick, but if it is, would I still want to live my life with you even if you never chose me or even if you chose to be without me or if we weren't together forever, okay? And I, it took me like two weeks because I was being honest I could have said like, yeah, for sure, duh. But I really went there in my mind, in my meditations, and I came to the understanding and agreement with myself that I love every minute with my wife and I don't want to lose any minute, so I'm going to maximize the minutes even if she goes. And ever since I made that choice, I have cherished every minute with her 
It's been a few months, and it's been the best few months of our entire marriage from my perspective because I squelched that fear by letting it be a reality for a minute, accepting the outcome and realizing that the fear from what other people would think of my trigger was gone, especially her. It was so. It was almost magical that that's why I'm sharing it with you. It was a magical release in my in my spiritual experience that I was just so baffled that this was something that's happened, and now working on it with her. So preparation number two, going to that place of fear, allowing it to happen, and being okay with the outcome. Number three. Or number two. And then number three is what you think about yourself. The only way to overcome that is to actually have it happen. Now, I know that this is like, well, how are you going to do that? That doesn't make any sense. And I'm going to share with you a story, uh, 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 re-share a story briefly. But again, back, like I said, when the church told me to leave, and I chose to leave. My process was really difficult because I care about other people. I want to burn my car. I want to sell my car, burn my clothes, whatever, change my hair. But when I, was, when I got over that, when I went to that place and I realized it's not that bad, or it was, it was that bad. But guess what? I got to live another day. I woke up the next day, which when I would dealt with myself, and I realized that, what I think of myself is I'm okay. And you have to go to that place of fear through the preparation, through the judgment of other people, the perceptions of other people, until you get to the place in yourself that you actually let it go with yourself because you're there. It can't get much worse. The quote I got from my dad was, enjoy the darkest of nights. Because you know, you know one thing's for sure, and that it can't get much darker, and the sun has to come up. The sun has to come up. That comment he, that, that thing he shared with me when I was 18 years old changed my life. I was in the darkest place I'd ever been, ever. So much things were weighing down on me, and since that time, I've been in deeper places and I thought back on that advice my dad gave me, which was, enjoy the darkest of nights because you know one thing for sure. You, you, you don't have to know anything. And life is so confusing in these moments. You'll know, but you do know one thing. That is, it can't get much darker and the sun has to come up. And that's worth looking forward to. And when you are there in your soul, what happens is you begin to have faith in the coming up of the sun, the faith that it can't get much darker. And when that takes place, it seems that the sun comes up much quicker. I, I don't know all the reasons why. All I know is that it happens. It works. And when you're in a dark, low place right now, in life, in love, in business, in spiritual, emotional, social, mental. If you're in a bad place, mental health is a serious topic right now because I think people are starting to realize that even if they prepare, even if they 
people's perception doesn't matter so much, but it does, and you go there, and it's okay. And they start to address this with themselves. They realize, maybe I'm not okay with how long this darkness is, and maybe the sun won't come up. Well, when you go through that, all of a sudden, my care for what other people think about me and my car, my haircut, my clothes, I just don't care anymore. I really don't. And the only thing I care about is that I follow the great commandments. And these are found throughout every religion I've ever studied. The great commandments are one, love the creator, love God. Know he is your father. He loves you like a father, like you love your children. And if you have a bad relationship with your dad like Abraham did, that's okay because you can create differently when it's your turn to put up your sacrifice on the altar. When it's your turn, when your trigger comes out, when you are being tested and your triggers are now being hit and you have to really live and go, because so, so do you see my analogy? Abraham had to go there. He had to go to the place of his worst nightmare and he did. He lived it. He had to put his son, this, this, this unbirthable child, Isaac, Isaac, this miracle baby, right? He has to put this son on the altar to sacrifice him. He has to live his greatest trigger of all time. And he did it. And what he found, and I don't even know if this, this is a crazy th thought, right? I'm sitting there and I'm like, what if the angel never came? What if there was no angel in the story? What if there was no God in the story? What, what, would, what would the result have been anyway? And I'll tell you, because I lived it. I've lived this without and with God. And the outcome seems to be the same. It seems to be a universal truth that God has put in place. So even if you don't want to trust him during the moment, what's going to happen is you're going to get to the place where you put that thing on the altar and you realize that I'm okay. I'm okay. So say Abraham does put his son up there. He puts Isaac on the altar, which he did. And when he goes to that place, he realizes, I am okay. I am living my trigger. I am having my greatest fear placed before me. And I can still make a choice. I can choose what I do. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe Abraham was like, I can own this trigger. And I realize I still have a choice and I'm okay. I'm okay. And he went and got the ram instead in the thicket. So, which again, I'm not saying that's what happened, but I am saying it's fascinating that it could very well have been that Abraham had this aha moment when he decided to own the truth of his trigger and his fear. So, if, if you have ever been broke, now let's take this to business, okay? Spiritual. Now, if you've ever been broke, it seems to me that those people who in their, in their early, I mean, the system's crazy, right? Let's, let's talk about business. So the system is crazy where most people are programmed in our society to be entrepreneurs and most people are very creative. And if you study the human brain, what you're going to learn is that there are growing that happens and take place where people are most creative during their 17 to 21 ages of life, right? 
When people need to be expressing and be in art classes or people need to be learning about how to grow their business and, and to take these risks, when people's risk tolerance is super high, they are told to make the safest plays in our society, which is messed up, right? So think about it. When logic tells you to stay home, like say I'm 40 and you look at you when I was, I look at me when I was 17, I had my rent paid for. I lived in a freaking nice house with my dad and my mom and everything I ever needed. Groceries were paid for. Uh, the, my car insurance was paid for. Yeah, I had to pay for my car and gas, but insurance was paid for. Groceries were paid for. Clothes were paid for. I got a new pair of shoes every year, most of the years. Uh, but that time I did. Um, everything I needed was was there. So logic would tell me that that is when you should stay home. Everything was done. Why would you leave that that incubator? Why would you leave that scenario? But something inside all of us when we're 17, 18 says, get out. You got to go. You, risk is low. <laughs> go, right? But if you had that set up when you were 40, your brain's like, oh, man, you should have stayed. That's why if someone stays in their house past that age of like 30, I think it was, or 27, like their chances of staying or moving out is never, right? So when... When you, sh when you should stay home, we all want to leave when we're 17, 18. So we leave the, the safest place. We leave because our risk is we don't care. We're good to take that risk. We're living our worst fear anyway, and it's okay, so let's go. Let's make the risk. Then we get into college, and, and, and they put us in debt, right? And then we get married, and that says stay down. And, st this, and all of a sudden, your life is... Do the most safe thing you can. So by the time that this risk-adverse self of you that wants to go take chances, if you haven't maximized that entrepreneurial itch inside of you and exercised that muscle from the ages of 17 to 21, chances of you being an entrepreneur are very low because through those years that you need to be learning and teaching and, and expanding on this muscle, it's the exact opposite things happening. So then when now you have the time, the money, the resources at age 40 to go be an entrepreneur, your risk, when you should go take a risk, when you should go get a side hustle, when you should drive home at five o'clock and then turn back to the office and go work on another awesome app project or start a new venture. We don't want to because it's so safe and now our risk is so low, but our care for it is so high that we don't, meaning back, backwards, our care for it is so low, but our ability to do it so high, we don't want to because we've conditioned and trained ourselves that when we should, we shouldn't. And we stop and we don't. And most people right now at age 30 and 40 don't because you've trained yourself not to. So these, these, that's why most millionaires happen at 60 because if you had a hustle when you were 17 to 21, Raise your hand. If you had a hustle when you were young and you learned that cause and effect of if I go take a risk of this $1, I could get two back, and you got two back when you were 17, you got addicted to it. Now I'm addicted to the game. Most people that get addicted to the game when they're young will play the game their whole lives. 
If I'm ever in a, in a business for more than four years, I get an itch. I got to go do something else. I got to start another project. I got to do something new. I start feeling anxious because I feel like I've conditioned and trained myself that I need to go do something different or new or try a new thing or put something new up because I don't want to get stuck in a rut. If you didn't do that, you need to unbreak that and untrain yourself by going to your worst fear, which is if I lost everything, if I lose it all, what's my fear? What's my greatest fear? You've been prepared your whole life. You've been prepared. So number one isn't true. You're ready. You know a skill set. You just got to realize what that skill set is. What do you love? What is your passion? What is your passion? And then what is your purpose? What purpose is are you driven by? Okay. And then what thing can you go and maximize and take it to the next level. What avenue can you go make a million dollars a year doing? Where that lines up. So I hear these mentors and these big people and these other world-famous entrepreneurs giving the advice, just follow what you love. Just go do what you love. Find what you love. Well, that's hard. So here, let me give you some very specific advice. Find the thing that you're passionate about. Find the thing that you have purpose behind. See where that intersects. And then... Find the vein of that passion and purpose that you can go make a million bucks in a year. What thing can you go make a million bucks in a year doing? Okay? That's when you answer that question, then you'll know where to go spend that other time and what side hustle to start. So these questions I get from you all the time of what should I do? How should I do it? You first got to get good with preparation and that's what you're doing now. It's good what you're doing. Whatever you're doing, it's good. You're learning. Two, find your passion and purpose. Realize that, so if I'm going to go find what passion and purpose is, I'm going to go start a gym business because I love the gym. That is a passion and purpose of mine. Three, can I go down that vein and can I go make a million bucks a year? Well, not if I'm just a, like a, a gym trainer, but if I can go create a platform in a world where we're doing supplements, we're doing online training and coaching, and we involve mental, and we involve product lines, and we involve tanning and, and haircuts and shoe trading, and all of a sudden we create our own product line, like can that whole venture create multiple millionaires? Yes. So that's the vein I need to go down. That's my passion and purpose. Great. Okay, that's where I'm intersecting, right? And then... What happens if that was all to go away? Could I restart it? Yes, I could restart. Would I stop going to the gym? If I lost it all, if it all went away, would I still go to the gym? Yeah, yeah, I would. So then go. Then go. You've overcome the three phases of fear. You've overcome, you learn how to identify it and, and maximize and overcome it. And then you live your worst nightmare. You go to the place where you lose everything. And when and the people that are the most dangerous, when people say people that are most dangerous, are the ones that have nothing to lose. I totally disagree with that statement. The people that are the most dangerous are those that have already lost everything and they know how to go get it back. That's the most dangerous individual. That's the individual that actually is dangerous because they don't, they, they've, they've graduated past that point of being nothing to lose. That person may or may not learn and figure this out. That person may keep their fear 
and keep it, keeping him down. That's probably who I talk to the most. People that are in that moment have got nothing to lose, but they have trained themselves not to put that ram or their son on the altar because they were once in the altar and it never happened. But if it did, it was so scary because all of a sudden now you're seeing hopefully this whole podcast come together, this whole concept in my brain. So if you go lay that son on the altar, you go put yourself on the altar and you actually go lay there for a minute and realize that nothing's going to happen, get back up and go get it back again and you will be the most dangerous person. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully that all tied together at the end. It was all very clear in my brain. So I think this concept is super cool, but hopefully you can see that when fear is there, that you got no faith, faith can't come in, and the spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, social, that all is so tied. And if you can go figure out how to let your greatest fear be a reality and realize it's not that bad, it really is not, and you don't care about anything else other than the love of whatever it is you're doing and you would still do it, that's your ticket. That's your ticket to crazy success. There is no fear. Go make it happen. It's your man, B. Holmes. This is the doors to success. And if you follow these doors and you go through them, you knock and conquer and open up that door, you will conquer what's on their side. Hopefully that helps. It's your man, B. Holmes. Doors to success. We out. Thank you for listening to the Doors to Success podcast. Don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe for more. Visit bhomes.com for more information on how you can join the Bprint.